0: Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, behold, notice with me. Behold, God said, I have given you every herb bearing seed. He didn't just give them for the now. He gave them something with capacity for future. Herb bearing seed. So he's saying, I'm giving you something, but I'm also giving you something that, that will hold... A powerful import for future future blessing, future harvest. Herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, every tree in the which is the fruit. Notice again, of a tree yielding seed. So I'm going to give you future harvest in that fruit and in that seed. To you, it shall be for me. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden. Again, he gave Adam and Eve a job. I, I kind of think that heaven, we're not just going to be floating around in clouds somewhere with, you know, playing harps. I really think that, because here they were in perfection, and yet God gave them a job to do in their perfection. Something that would evidently be rewarding to them. He said, I've given you the fruit, free yielded seed. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He said, it's yours, I want you to take care of it now. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to take care of what God gave you. You do. It's part of my message. you got to take care of what God gave you. You know, you can be Pentecostal all day long, but you can't wave a wand over your future and just think that it's just, this isn't magic, folks. It's powerful, but it's not magic. i got good news. You want a good life? Guess what? You can have it. You want a bountiful future? Guess what? You can have it. But it's not going to happen on its own. He said, I've given this to you to dress it and to keep it. Notice Proverbs 17, 24. This is really what what I'll be talking about primarily out of uh, love, Proverb writer. Wisdom is before him that hath understanding. It's before him that hath understanding. Notice, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. You should think about that. The eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. Wisdom is before him. It's there that hath understanding. But a fool, his eyes are in... It's, ever, it's in the ends of the earth, It's everywhere else, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, today. Thank you for the scripture. Already, Lord, we've already learned something powerful out of the word of God. To the hungry soul, every bitter thing has become sweet. And I pray, Lord, give us a hunger for the word of God. Hallelujah. Give us a hunger to learn. So this is not just an emotional experience. We've got to learn here. I pray teach us and help us to grow, so we can make application of these principles into our life, and the end result will, will be that we have a better life, which is your destiny for us. I pray that in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Um, uh, I want to try to to uh, I want to try to address a subject this morning. Um, I don't know exactly how I'm going to get there, but we'll get there. Um, I would say, especially given the, the, the present culture that we're living in right now. But do you realize that um, in many ways, I think we look at our present standing where we are in our country. We've got an inauguration that's going to be happening very soon. I mean, I don't, in my lifetime, I don't know that we've ever had troops at the Capitol I mean, there's concerns about armed rebellions, and, and uh, wow, we are, we are living in just a mess. But if you're any student of history at all, you recognize that when it says in Ecclesiastes, there's no new thing under the sun. I know to us, we're like, oh my goodness, first time ever, you, you, you know, you like your, your stomach drops, your heart, ah, oh. What's happening? What's taking place? Do um, you realize that history continues to repeat itself? And it's kind of actually in some ways is frustrating because history continues to just happen over and over again. Have you ever considered why that the same things happen over and over again? You would think we would learn. But why is it that some of I mean, if, if, if you look at history, you look at people, you look at families, you look at nations, why is it that, that it seems like we're in this relentless, endless cycle that we just end up back where we started? And a society may, may make tremendous progress, and yet sometimes that progress is met with regress, and it ends up going back. Have you ever considered why? What's the one commonality? So the one common thing about history, there's only one thing that I can see that's incredibly common. You know what it is? It's people. Yeah, it's people. And there's this thing we call human nature. And the thing is that human nature tends to just continue to do the same things over and over. The Subject I want to deal with is it is human nature to lust. It's human nature to lust. Now, when I say lust, of course, everybody primarily thinks sexual. But you know that love or lust goes far beyond just sexual lust. That lust goes far beyond that, that there's, some, there's something in human nature that finds itself over and over wanting more. And even those that want more, when they have more, they want then different. Something within the capacity of human nature that it just relives itself over and over again. So we find the Ten Commandments, the very last of the Ten Commandments, says what? It says, Thou shalt not covet. And he, he lists these number of things. The last Ten Commandments, why, why is and, and by the way, the Ten Commandments are still applicable today. I kind of like them at the courthouse. I think they belong there. There's got to be some foundation and basis for, for our whole justice system. There should be, or you, you don't have justice. But he said, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. Because what is it about human nature that that has this desire to lust? That devaluing what you have in search of what you don't have. If I just had that. If I just, you know, I had that relationship. If I just drove that car. If I just had that house. If, man, I just didn't live in 30 degrees below zero. Man, if I just... I could just shoot the trophy buck, if I could just get the, well, then I'd be, ha- if I could just get married, if I could just not be married, if I could just, well, then man, I'd really, i really be, if I wasn't married to them, if I didn't have these kids, if I had different kids, if I had different parents and there's something within human nature, that it's human nature to somehow or another be impressed by what others have oftentimes and devalue what God has blessed us with. It's interesting. James uh, found this this week. It's a great scripture in James chapter 4, verse 5. He said, Do you think that the scripture saith in vain? Notice what it says. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. It lusteth to envy. And in other words, there's something about the human experience. There's something about humanity. There's something about people that they... People. It's, and it just... It happens over and over again in this endless cycle of humanity. This parade of humanity over and over again. People... You know, because people are people and humans are humans, and, and there's the desire. if I could just have this, if I could just and there's something that seems to be within the heart of man that seems to reach for other folks' ideas. If I just had their if I had their looks, if I just had their if I had their giftings, then then oh then then I'd really have it. If I if I had their stuff, if I had their possessions, if I had their house, if I had their Car, man, I could really if I had if I had that job if I oh if I had their personality. I'm a wallflower, but oh if I could if I could be sanguine and happy-go-lucky. The sanguine says oh if I could be organized like the melancholy. You see what I'm saying? It's, there's something about human nature that's always always wanting, never satisfied. It's human nature human nature, something in human nature. It's a universal problem everywhere in the world. If I just had this, if I could just be there. And so people look at other people's stuff with an envious glance. So sin put a negative bent within the heart of people to be dissatisfied with their present spot and envy someone else's spot. It's the human condition to covet, to crave, to itch for, to wish for someone else's stuff. That stuff may be their car, their wife, their husband, their home, their job, their money, their looks, their clothes, their position, their vocation. So it brings me to a phrase that has been used over and over again, and it's kind of a, it's an idiom of our day. It's a phrase that kind of encapsulates this whole idea. And the phrase goes something like this. The phrase is, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. How many You've heard that before, right? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. In other words, man, the, the other side of that fence, wow, that, that is, that's green grass right there. If I was a goat, I, I'd be eating that grass right there. I, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, their grass, you ever have neighbors like this? Their grass looks like a golf course. And my grass looks like goats on it. My grass is overgrown and it's sparse and it's got patches and it's, you know, it's, it's infested with bugs. And, you know, it kind of smells and it's uneven. It's got rocks. In it. but, 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 man, on, on the other side of the field, whoa, they, now, now they, got, they got green grass right there. And it brings us to the saying that grass is always greener. And the other side of the thing, I could eat that grass all day. Would you look at that grass? Unbelievable. So a young person could be tempted to be something that they're not. Put on a false front and a facade, their life with a fake attitude. Isn't it interesting that young people decide to be different and they end up just like everybody else? Act like everybody else. Act like I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. That's what I'm going to do, and they're just just acting like everybody else in culture acts, right? A child thinks my parents are too strict. I'm not looking for any Amen. So young people are going to all be quiet right now. My parents are too strict. My parents are too mean. They're out of touch. They're, you know, they're too starchy. They're too stuffy. My parents, wow, they're too goofy, and they might be. I mean, it could be true. I don't know. But that's not that what young people think. Oh, even if, if, if I was just in that family. If, man, if my, if my family, I, I, I wish I could do this or I wish I could have that. If I, if, if I was there, man, then I will really have arrived. And it's troubling to consider that teens oftentimes attempt to be something that they are not. And in the process, they lose their own identity. Can somebody say amen. It's a horrible tragedy when someone loses something precious to them because they don't realize the value of what they already have. And it's crazy. Some of this is insane. Some of this is like uh, logically insane if you think about it. I don't even know. I mean, here we are talking to church about this, but I'm I'm going to ask you a question. Do you remember the first time you smoked a cigarette? You're like, man, that was good. Give me another one of them. And all your buddies are looking at you like, that was cool. I asked this question. I'm not asking it again because I got in trouble at nine o'clock. But I mean, how much a pack of cigarettes is? I heard a variety of answers. I heard as much as $10 a pack. Okay. Let's just say, let's say $5 a pack. Is that too low? Okay. So say eight bucks a pack, eight bucks a pack. So, so you're, you're now you're, you're, you're spending $8 to put this thing in between your lips and, and choke to death. And it's putting black scarring on your lungs and it's, it's, I hate smoking it stinks. My, my parents smoked when I grew up so when I sit at the dinner table I could almost imagine like the, the cigarette like being chewed in my mouth. It was like ugh, ugh, ashes sitting there and everything so I'm just like, why don't you just put your lips around the you, you know the exhaust pipe of a car and just suck it it's free. It's free man it won't cost you a dime because eight bucks a day you smoke one pack a day, eight bucks a day is what? what is that? 250 bucks a month It's car payment 250 bucks a month to suck something, that tastes terrible, that you have to get over in the beginning so you can fit in, you can look cool. It's terrible. It's stupid. It's illogical. But if you do it long enough, okay, now you want it, and then you fit in. Isn't that cool? It only cost me, you know, three to five hundred bucks a month. I could have me a brand new truck. It's like first drink of alcohol. Some of you may, this goes way, way back, but Red Skeleton, some of you may, he was a comedian, Red Skeleton, and he would he had this, he'd, he'd take a drink of alcohol, and he'd go, he'd go just like, and he'd go, smooth, smooth. <laughs> and it's like, he, I mean, you're sucking battery acid, man. Hunter proof. Yeah, dude, it was great. It was awesome. It was wonderful. And all of a sudden, you're addicted now and you're spending all this money and you're wrecking your life. And it all be what in the world possesses someone to smoke and to drink when in the beginning it's stupid and you got to get up because there's some the spirit in man lusteth to envy the scripture says. Some says, "Well, I got to be cool. I got to fit in. They're doing it. That's what I got to do." I feel I feel so I feel so bad for our young people nowadays. And I I I think I come on church, we ought to pray for our young people. We ought to have high levels of compassion for our young people. We got eating disorders. We got we got anxiety. We got all kinds of issues in our culture today. And I'm and I'm telling you what, because there there has been placed a standard of beauty that is unachievable. And the ones that quote unquote have that standard of beauty, you know how they got there? Anorexia and bulimia and the the, the runway models, they're really, they have been abused by life. And many of them, okay, I'm just gonna preach it like I'm just gonna do, because that's just what I do. It's like, okay, so we're gonna go to Hollywood, right? We're gonna, that's gonna be our standard of beauty. Hollywood is good. Well, who determines what these movies become? Ever heard of Harvey Weinstein? He's a pervert. He's a pervert. Ever heard of the casting couch? You know what that means? That he sleeps with all these. That's how they get their parts, right? And he the abuser is the one that defines what beauty is. And the abuser then defines what the movie's going to be, and then that defines to our culture and our young men and our young women what's normal and our young ladies. So our young ladies are like, man, I feel terrible if I don't look like that. You, you know, that girl that weighs 63 pounds, she's 5'10", She weighs. if I don't look like that, and, 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 and envy, I, I, I'll never be able to be that. And it's all created by a system that is abusive at its core. It's illogical, man. It's illogical. It's a tra- really, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy at, at the core. At the core, it is an absolute tragedy. Why? Envy. If I could just be that. Oh, if I could just look like that, I'd be happy with myself. If I could just lose another 10 pounds, if I could gain 15 pounds, if I, could, if I, just, if I had this personality, if I had this job, if I made a little bit more money, if I had this, well, then I'd be happy. And men leave their wives and their families. For that other babe. Then 10 years down the road. They wake up and realize. I screwed up my whole life. And I screwed up my whole family. It's an apparition. It's a dream. I've met preachers. Who abide where they are. Secretly wishing they were in that church. It's true. Man if I was just in that church. If I was just in. Wow if I was in that state. If I was in that city. If I was in California. Oh, Man we could. If we were just there, if we were just there, things, it's interesting, my wife, uh, she worked at a local business town here a number of years ago, Lake Country Power, and she worked in their HR department. And it was, she found it fascinating. And you that grew up in Grand Rapids, you probably can attest to this fact. And that is a lot of young people that grow up in Grand Rapids or Grand Rapids area, Tess County, and they're like, can't get, wait, wait to get out of this place. I gotta get out of Grand Rapids. I hate this place. I hate this town. I hate this town. I gotta get out of here. Well, she worked in HR, and you know how many applications she took of people that were typically, you know, 30 years old. And They're from Grand Rapids. They grew up in Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids is high school they graduated from. And you know what? They're wanting to come back. They want to come back. You know why? Because it's always, it's always somewhere else. It's always, if I could just get out of this town. You know what? I call it destination disease. How did Solomon in in Proverbs characterize a fool? Notice what he said. One characteristic Solomon used in defining a fool. What did he say? He said, the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. The eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. Oh, if I could just be there. Oh, wandering eyes, if I could just have that. Oh, if I just had that. There is always some better place. The eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. And a foolish husband lusts after another woman. A foolish person lusts after someone else's car, their house, their money. Oh, if I just had their furniture. If I just had their kids. If I just had their family. A foolish child of God lusts after forbidden fruit in the world. Oh, if I could just do that. If I could, oh, if I could just go there. Then I, A foolish woman lusts after another lady's job, another lady's looks, another lady's possessions. A foolish preacher lusts after another position, another place, another church. All that being said, I think let's be very truthful here this morning, because I think it's a good place to be truthful in church. The reality is that there are times in life of unrest and dissatisfaction. And somebody said amen. There are times in life. It's just a fact. Our life is maybe not, maybe you're there right now. Your life is not what you want it to be. It's it's, it's not you're like, man, this is not this is not what it's cracked up to be. Not, And, and there are times that we don't like our real estate. What are you saying? Welcome to the human race. <laughs> life is not always a bowl of cherries. I mean, sometimes life is not what we want it to be. And especially if, if, if you're not if you're young enough and haven't acquired enough wisdom that you don't realize that sometimes life is seasonal. Life is seasonal. You may be you, you may be doing the exact right place, right time, everything in your life, what it needs to be, but you're like, I'm not happy right now. And it's not a matter of the eyes of a fool saying, I've got to be there if I had that, if I'd be No, sometimes it's a matter of timing because you may be in one season, but the good news, if you're in Minnesota and it's 30 degrees below zero and there's 10 feet of snow, guess what? Spring is coming. The green grass, talking about grass. The grass is going to grow again. The sun is going to shine again. We go through a stretch, typically in the winter, where we got... 20 or 30 gray days in, your, in a row, and you're like, oh, oh, Lord, this is when I need a vacation. I need to be in Fort Myers, Florida, right now. I need, I'm craving vitamin D. I got to have some sunshine. But you know what? If you hang tight long enough, you know what's going to happen? The season's going to change. Season's going to change. Some people jump ship. I'm saying jumping ship is not the answer. Listen up. The problem is, That if you miss, if if you jump ship, you miss watching your field bloom. Grass is always growing on the other side. And the problem is my eyes are in the ends of the earth and I miss watching my field bloom. If I leave prematurely, I never eat the fruit from the trees that I planted in the rough season of my life. And if I'll stick around long enough, guess what will happen? That fruit, that tree is going to produce fruit and I'll be there one day. As a matter of fact, the grass is always greener mentality leads to disdain and dislike for the grass that God gave you presently. And if I chase the green grass on the other side of the fence, then ultimately I end up losing the green grass on my side of the fence. You say, Pastor, what are you preaching about? I'll tell you what I'm preaching about. I want to I rework that phrase. And here's what I want to preach about this morning. The grass is always greener on your side of the fence. Holy Ghost, help us today. The grass is always greener on your side of the fence. And you know how it got greener on your side of the fence? It didn't get greener by itself. It got greener on your side of the fence because you said, this is my field. This is my life. This is my marriage. This is my personality. This is the giftings that God gave me. This is my calling. This is my family. This is my church. This is my place. This is my city. This is my state. I'm taking ownership of what God gave me. This is my field. I'm going to love my field. I'm not going to want the grass on the other side of the fence because God's a good God and God knows what he's doing and God gave me this piece of real estate and he gave me this piece of grass and guess what, if I'll hang tight with it I've got a good God that's going to bless my side of the fence Uh, if I'll have gratitude and appreciation and I'll do what God's called me to do guess what, the grass will be greener on my side of the fence oh hallelujah Clap your hands in the Lord. Let's magnify God today. Holy Ghost, help us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. What are you saying? I'm saying fall in love with your field. It may not be much now. It may not everything you be everything you want it to be yet. You hear me? It may not You look at it and you go, oh, it's not what I want it to be. Well, Well, good news. It's still yours. It may not be yet. What you want it to be. But guess what? If you fall in love with your field, if you keep working your field, you start sowing seeds in your field, you start watering your field with your tears, you start working your field, you start fertilizing your field, guess what? Your field's going to start growing. Guess what? Your green grass is going to start growing. Guess what happens when you, when you do this? You ever seen them little carts? They got the stuff inside of them? What are you doing? fertilizing. I'm seeding. I'm fertilizing. Guess what? This is really powerful. But you know what? Where you don't fertilize, it ain't green. You know what some fertilizer is? (laughs) Kind of stinks. Yep, but I'm doing it in faith. I don't like where I'm at right now, but I'm fertilizing it. Because one day, you know what? God's going to bless this. I'm going to keep sowing seed because this is my field. And if I spend all my time looking at the fence on that side, I don't work this side. This is my field. God gave me this field. This is the field God blessed me with. I'm going to work this field. I'm going to pray to the Lord of the harvest. I'm going to be faithful in what God's given me. And guess what? You give it enough time. You fall in love with your field. Guess what? Your field starts improving. What God gave you starts to get better. In fact, let me say this, great fields don't happen overnight. Well, pastor, I, I mean, I've, I've been living for God for, for three weeks now. I haven't gotten a raise. I, I didn't get hired on the pipeline yet. How? Now? How, how, it don't work like that. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Well, my family's still kind of screwed up. Good. Guess what? God can fix it. If you'll stay faithful. Uh, my marriage still struggling through my marriage right now. Good news. That's your field. What you going to do? Give up on it? Can't do that. Going to trust God. Guess what? I'm going to keep sowing good seed. Keep praying. Keep working my field. Because at the end of the day, this is my field. And Genesis says that you get to eat what you tend. What you tend is what you get to eat. That's your grass. Now You get the analogy, right? We don't eat grass, but a few sheep do. What are you saying? I'm saying it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You know what? Great marriages are developed over time. Great families take lots of incremental investments. How many want to have a great family? I do. It takes time. You've got to change a lot of diapers. That's a lot of money. I hear these new philosophies nowadays do this. Uh, you can wash your own. Not me, man. Not me. I'm buying. I don't care if I gotta work extra hours. I ain't washing no diapers. <laughs> God bless y'all. Do it your way. But uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they don't listen. They don't listen right now. They're on the floor throwing a fit in the middle of Walmart. That ought to happen once or twice. Huh? Great churches aren't made overnight. But over decades. But oh, I tell you what, you keep working your field and before you know it, all of a sudden the grass gets healthier. You say spiritual life. Well, I'm not I don't have a spiritual life. I don't really have a prayer life like I want to. I really I I haven't I don't understand the Bible. I read the Bible and I want to be a Christian, but I read the Bible and I don't get it. keep on keeping on. You, you don't, the word is yet. I don't have my prayer life yet. I'm not understanding scripture yet. But you know what? If you keep applying yourself, you keep working what God gave you, the time is going to come that what God gave you is going to grow. It's going to produce. All of a sudden, that prayer life, that, that, that understanding of the scripture and the word of God, your ministry. You say, I don't know about my ministry. Well, God's got a ministry for everybody in the church. I had to preach about that for a little while. I kind of want to. I feel like a three-hour sermon coming out. Hmm. Hallelujah, it's a new year. <laughs> Scoreboard zero and zero. We're starting over. Hallelujah. Oh, it's true, though. What, what, what do you want in your future? First thing you got to do is look at your field and say, Thank God, God gave me a field. This is mine. Now what am I going to do with it? An ancient Persian legend tells of a wealthy man by the name of Al-Hafid owned a large farm one evening a visitor related to him tales of fabulous amounts of diamonds that could be found in other parts of the world and of the great riches they could bring him the vision of this wealth made him feel poor by comparison so instead of caring for his own prosperous farm he sold it and set out to find these treasures but the search proved to be fruitless finally penniless and in despair he committed suicide by jumping off of a cliff Meanwhile, the man who had purchased his farm noticed one day the glint of an unusual stone in a shallow stream on the property. He reached into the water, and to his amazement, he pulled out a huge diamond. Later, when working in his garden, he uncovered many more valuable gems. Poor Al Hafid had spent his life traveling to distant lands, seeking jewels, when the farm he had left behind were all the precious jewels and stones that his heart could have ever desired. What are you saying? I'm saying your field's okay. God gave it to you. It's a matter of what am I going to make with what God has given me. Fall in love with your field. There's a story of another rich industrialist who is disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. He's a, he's a magnate. He's an industrialist. He's a business builder. He sees this guy sitting, this fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. He says, why in the world aren't you out there fishing? He says, because I've caught enough fish for today, says the fisherman. Well, why don't you go catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. He said, well, what would I do with them? He said, you could earn more money, came his impatient reply, and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and you could catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money. So then you'd have a fleet of boats and you could be rich like me. The fisherman asked, then what would I do? He said, then you could sit down and enjoy life. The fisherman replied, what do you think I'm doing? Oh, more, 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 better, better, more, more. And it's like, what, I'm, what are you saying? The grass is always greener on your side of the fence. I think somebody ought to say, thank God for what God's given me. My family, my marriage, my ministry, my personality, who I am, what I am. God knows what he's doing. In fact, I'll tell you this, the greatest trick of the devil, and there is a devil, there's a real devil. There's a real devil. And you know the greatest, the greatest trick of the devil is somehow or another to get you to devalue your field. Because before he steals it, he's first of all, he has to have a drop in estimation in your opinion. That you look at your field and say, oh, it's a worthless field. And then it's easy to steal it from you. I found a tremendous, this is a great scripture, very practical. Proverbs 20 and 14. Proverbs 20 and 14. I'm going to read it in the King James and then I'm going to read it in the Amplified. I was talking to my daughters about this last night, and they were very puzzled. I said, I want you to think about this scripture, okay? Look at the scripture. Look at what it says. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer. You get it? It is not, it is not, saith the buyer. So you're on marketplace. You're on exchange and swap, right? You're going to sell your $1,000 car, okay? So the buyer comes along, and what does he do? It is not, it is not, saith the buyer. Anybody want to paraphrase that? It's not worth that much. Why? Well, see that ding right there? You got a ding right here. Oh, you got a ding. These tires, you only got about 30% left on them. Oh, and you know what? When I opened the door, I saw a spot. There's a spot on that, that front seat. Oh, that's terrible. I opened up your trunk, and your trunk is pretty junky, man. You got, whoa, that's terrible. You got, see that scratch on the front right there? See the bumper? That bumper's got a crack in it. See what? It is not, it is not, saith the buyer. It is nothing, it is nothing. But read the second half. But when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. You get it? You're not going to believe the deal I got on that truck. The guy was asking a thousand bucks, and I got it for five hundred bucks. What a deal! Is this not the best truck you've ever seen? The best vehicle? I got this vehicle for five hundred dollars. You get it? You know what it is? It's a negotiation tactic. Devaluation is a negotiation tactic. You get it? In other words, if what you have becomes devalued then what you have can be purchased for a cheaper price. What's the game the devil's been in since the beginning of time? You don't have anything that valuable. Oh, if you were just out in the world, if you just lived different. Man, you know what I've learned? Guess what? People in the world, if you're unhappy in church, let me tell you something. People in the world are still unhappy right now. You know that? So if you're unhappy, I got good news for you. You can be unhappy in the church... And go to heaven, or you can be unhappy in the world and go to hell. I'd rather be unhappy in church, or at least have seasons of it, and know I got a promise of eternal life. I'm obeying God no matter what I'm going through. I'm gonna I'm gonna obey the Lord. I'm gonna be in church. It rains on the just and on the unjust. You can talk in tongues like a Chinaman, but if it's raining outside, your your head's still gonna get wet. That's how it works. Good times and bad times. But the consolation that I have is that God is with me and what I have is valuable. And I'm not going to let the devil steal it from me by negotiating me out of the valuable thing that I have in my possession. By making me feel like it's worth less than what it's actually worth. Valuable. The devil says it's not. It's not nothing. You got all your doctrine. That's nothing. Oh, that's just your version of truth. It's nothing. Holiness, that's nothing. That doesn't really matter. But not we who are wise in the Lord. Because we know what we have. We know in whom we have believe. We know who he is. And we know what we have. And we're not going to be duped. We're not going to be deceived. We're not going to be tricked in Jesus' name. No, we're not. Uh, hallelujah. Because I'm not for sale. Buy the truth and sell it not. I'm not for sale. Come on, my integrity's not for sale. My character's not for sale. Come on, my walk with God's not for sale. My field's not for sale. It's not for sale. So the lie and the deception, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. You know what it does? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. You know what? It keeps people from cultivating their present field. So instead of cultivating the present field, they pipe dream about the faraway distant land and neglect their own field. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. What are you preaching, pastor? Don't let that mentality rob you of your passion, your initiative, your joy, your focus, your persistence, your perseverance. What I'm preaching here this morning is give your field your best shot. Whatever God gave you, make it the best that it can be. Come on, this is your field. Say, thank God the grass is always greener on my side of the fence. And it's going to be greener because God's blessed me with it and I'm going to make it better. Hallelujah. At the minimum, at least you will enjoy yourself. let me give you a scripture. Philippians 4 and 11. I'm going to take a little license with this scripture, but I'm telling you, I'm doing it before I do it. I'm being honest about that. Okay, watch what it says, uh, Philippians 4 and 11. Not that I re- speak in respect of want, for I've learned. Paul said, I've, I've learned. In other words, some things that you can only gain through some form of education, and sometimes it's a school of hard knocks. Paul said, I've learned. What did Paul learn? Paul learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. Now, here's where I'm going to take license. Whatsoever state I am in, California, Hawaii, Minnesota. Okay, you don't get it. I didn't want to live in Minnesota. I had no desire to be in Minnesota. My wife and I got married. Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to get in trouble quickly and publicly. December the 4th, 1993. Four kids, the 4th. December the 4th, 1993. We got married in Duluth, Minnesota in December. And that was back when they had real winters. Four foot of snow, 30 degrees below zero. And I'm like, what kind of godforsaken place this is this? I can't wait to get out of here. I'm out of here. We're vacationing in Florida. Then we're going back to Michigan. It's a little farther south at least. Kind of god." And, I, and I, I told my wife, I said, honey, just FYI, we're never living in Minnesota. <laughs> dumb, 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 dumb dumb, 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 don't ever say what you're not going to do, I told her we're not going not to, it was one year, one year later, the Lord began to stir our nest, the Lord began to speak to us, and um, so we spent a little time in the Twin Cities, there was a church there and met with Brother and Sister Thompson, I remember staying in their guest room and the Lord speaking to us that we felt like God wanted us to move to, that's right, Minnesota, we were, we were in the Twin Cities for two or three years, and through a very unique turn of events, I received a phone call. Uh, Brother Pap, the former pastor of this church, called me, and he said, I, I want you to come up here. This church is opening. I want you to come up. And I, and I thought, and, and the Lord, actually the Lord had spoken to me and gave me, he asked me a question. It's kind of neat when the Lord asks you a question. It must be a rhetorical, though, because I don't know that he necessarily gives us an out. But he asked, I felt like the Lord asked me a question, would you like to pastor in Grand Rapids? And I immediately thought, oh, no. No. <laughs> uh, do I need I say more? <laughs> no. And I still don't know exactly why he asked me that question other than cluing me in. I guess he wanted my will in it at least a little bit. We came to preach the weekend, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the rest was history. But I didn't want to be here. I, really didn't, I mean, by choice. I really, if I had my choice, I went to college in, on the West Coast, which I don't know. I'd probably want to be getting out of there about now anyway. But crazy land, crazy whatever but the weather i like the weather so i'm like california lord san diego southern california that's really where and god's like no how about like northern minnesota (laughs) and i remember the first probably three years that i lived here i had a bad attitude you didn't know it but i had a bad attitude because i'm like i hate this weather we had at that time we had bought a what was that car we owned it was a nice comfortable sedan Dodge Intrepid. We had a Dodge, a beautiful car, comfortable car. And then, like in January, you go, I mean, it was a cushy, comfortable car. In January, you go to sit on it. It was like sitting on a frozen rock. (laughs) You turn your car, what kind of godforsaken place is this? Walk out the front door of my house, we had a thermometer. It was there from the previous owner. I, I wanted to throw that thing across the street. You'd walk out there below zero. Every single day, 20 days straight, below zero. My parents were visiting from Michigan. I walked out one day, and I'm like, it's above zero. It's been three weeks, below zero. What kind of God forsaken place is this? And I had a bad attitude in a lot of ways. I'm like, okay, God, you called us here? I mean, I never will forget driving up the first time. This is a long long time ago. That original number of buildings. You That that quaint little country church, beautiful country church, wonderful people, and... I drive in, and it was you know, December of what would have been 92 or 95. I drive in to the parking lot, and, and there, there is a plume of smoke. I'm like, fire. There's a fire. And I look, and there's a wood stove. You people don't know this because you're crazy. You're crazy. You don't know this. This is the only church in the United Pentecostal Church that heats its building with a wood stove in the winter. You don't realize that's crazy. <laughs> what kind of place is this? I went to a conference. We'd been here about three years. I thought, okay, God, a small town. I thought we'd be in like a big metro area, like nice, warm, balmy weather. And I went to a conference, and the preacher was preaching. He made a statement I latched onto, and he was preaching about Abraham. And he said, said, Abraham, he said, Abraham made a covenant with the land. He made a covenant with the land. And God told Abraham, he said, every place the foot, your foot shall tread. He said, that's going to be your land. He made a covenant with the land. He said, "You make a covenant with the land," and, and it was like it was like for me, man. I took that home and I'm like, "Okay, God, this is my town now. This is my city. What? Thirty degrees below zero. <laughs> I'm smiling. I feel half insane, but it's a good run. Here we go. It's my town. It's my city. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna love. My, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make a covenant with the land. And all the guess what? God begins to bless." And guess what? The church begins to grow. And guess what? And all of a sudden, what are you saying? I'm saying you can build yourself a life right where you are. The eyes of a fool are on the ends of the day. Oh, if I could just be, I'm, I'm, I'm. How does how does this, it's not even a good song? I'm a real nowhere man, singing all his nowhere songs or whatever. It's terrible. You can spend your whole life saying, "If I was just there, if I was just there." When God said, "I've given you a field," and so I choose my attitude. I refuse to gripe. I refuse to groan. I refuse to complain. I'm not doing it anymore. Thank you, Jesus. It's thirty degrees below zero, and you know what? This is crazy. This is insane. But I love Minnesota winters now. I do. I love them. You know, I, I in California they, they they have two seasons. They have like winter and summer, but their winter is like 30 degrees and it rains. Trees don't change colors. What a stupid place. I'm like up here, I'm like, man, if it's springtime and it's wintertime, you know the difference. You know, you know that there is a difference between summer and Minnesota. Summer in Minnesota can get almost 100 degrees. Hundred degrees in winter, we can get about forty degrees. There is no place almost on this planet that I'm aware of that you can have a hundred and forty degree temperature differential. Thank you. And I get to live. here. It's a great town. I love the people of this town. I love the businesses of this town. I like the restaurants of the. You know why? This is my field. This is I choose my attitude. I could spend my whole life saying if I was just there, if I was just there, if I was just there. If I was just there Oh, if we were in Georgia, we could have a 100 Soul Revival. If Man, if we were in Texas, we could have a 100 Soul Revival. Let me tell you what. We're going to have a 100 Soul Revival right in northern Minnesota. You want to talk about the Bible Belt? This is the belt buckle of the Bible Belt because this is God's country. This is God's place. This is God's blessing. And God will bless it because he is the Lord of the harvest. I spent my whole life going, oh, if I was just there, oh, if I was just there, and chasing my tail, running here and running there. And what I'm saying, every single one of us, you know what we can do? We build our best life now in the name of Jesus. I'm going to commit long term to someone, to something, to some place. And until I commit to someone, something, in some place, I never build life. But when I commit to someone, to something, to some place, you know what I do? I begin to build a life right where I live versus the idea of, oh, the grass is greener over there. Oh, I wish I was there. The whole time my ground is just splotchy and no, hallelujah. If you don't like the home you live in, guess what? You can make it better. You don't like your job, guess what? You can make your job better. I mentioned the nine o'clock. It's a cool little story. Chez, Chez works at ASV. I mean, you could be, a, Chez would be like, oh, man, I'm painting again. Great. He's a painter. He's got a paint booth. He goes in that paint booth. What his supervisors and his workers, they look at his paint jobs, and they're like, they're flawless. Perfect paint jobs. He said, but what they don't know, and he said at some point they're going to know, is that paint booth is my prayer booth. And he said, I'm praying, I got my earbuds in, and he gets like Holy Ghost radio, probably. He's got Holy Ghost radio playing. He's got preaching. He's getting like a biblical seminary education from apostolic preaching. Well, he's going, psh, spray on, psh, spray on, psh, psh. they pull it out, and they're like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> you, can't, you can't improve on that. He says, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Yeah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's God that did that. He could be like, stupid job. I don't want to be at ASP. I want, I want to be on the pipeline. All these other guys in the pipeline, how come I'm not on the pipeline? How come I'm not making X number of dollars per hour? That's not the mentality that wins. The mentality that wins that says, this is my job. And as long as it's my job, it's going to be the best job. I'm going to thank God for this job. I'm going to make this job better. I'm going to be the best paint boost prayer you've ever seen in ASV history because God planted me here. And this is my green grass. I'm not looking at their green grass and wishing I had what they had because I got what I got. And what I got, I'm going to thank God for. I'm going to make it better. Hallelujah. The family you have. How many want to have a good family? I don't know about you, I want to I have a great family. I want to have generations, if the Lord tarries, of apostolic people that love God, love ministry, love people. That's what I want. Do you know how you get there? You get there by saying, this is my family. I'm going to make it the best I can. Your marriage, your spouse, you say, oh, well, my marriage isn't what I want it to be. Okay. But there you go, you got the ground. What are you going to do with it? You make it better? God will help you. you can make it better. How about your church? You can just be an attender. Ah, yeah, they, that's a good one, Rev. Good good, good service you, you put on there. Yeah, hey, music team, good service you put on there. That was, that was cool. Good job. Good job. Draw my couple bucks in the plane. Yeah, cool. Good church you got going on there. No, this is your church. This is your church. You want a great church? Let me tell you how you have a great church. You make it that way. You know why? This is the truth. You want a great church? You know how you have a great church? You make it that way. That means you prayed before you ever got to church. That means you've had prayer going all week long. You've been talking to God. You're so excited. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You've been living for God. You've been involved in ministry. You've been trying to reach the lost. And guess what? You come to church and you're like, man, I'm bringing my best praise. Oh, man, you, I'm just telling you, I'm just giving fair warning. You're gonna to wanna to make sure that you get that, you get it really good, because we're gonna be in the book of Malachi pretty soon. We're gonna preach that six ways a Sunday, upside down, round and round, inside out. And he deals with worship. Worship. That's the kind of church we need to have. Worship in church, loving God, presence of the Lord, Holy Ghost. Come on, church, gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, abundant ministry, souls being saved, baptismal tank being moved, people being baptized. Come on, somebody. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And I'm going to, with God's help, I'm going to make sure the grass is greener on my side of the fence. This is my church. There is somebody in the world, this may blow your mind, but there is somebody in the world that would die to be in your place. There is somebody in the world that would die if 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 they you're like well i don't know i don't know about that. there is somebody in the world right now they would say oh if i could be where they're at oh they got food in their cupboards. oh look what they have they have fellowship oh they have a support group look what they have oh if i could just have there are some you you mean and that's that's the trick of the devil to devalue what you even if you're going through a struggle right now there are people in the world that would switch places with you in a moment in a flash like that they'd switch places And that's why what I want to do is I want to have that mentality now, wherever I'm at, whatever station I'm at, say, thank God for the field that I got. I'm going to work this field. Thank God for what I got. Lord, you gave it to me. I'll tend it. I'll keep it. I want this grass to grow. I want this grass to be healthy because the grass is greener on my side of the fence. That's what I love about Joseph in the Bible. He's one of the most coolest biblical characters in the Bible. He had perspective. He had vision. But, man, you you talk about going through the grinder. The Bible calls him a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow. What does that mean? He's productive. He's healthy. He's producing. He's a fruitful bow. Everywhere that Joseph went, he improved things. No job was too bad. No pit was too deep. Everywhere he went, he made things better. In the pit, he's thrown into the pit. What happens? He gets thrown into the pit. His brothers, but he makes up his mind. I'm in the pit. I'm not going to hate him. I want to hate him right now, but I'm not going to hate him because if I hate him, I-, I lose my future. I can't hate my brothers. So while he's in the pit, what he says? I'm in the pit, but I'm going to do the best I got with what I have. In the pit, they pick him up out of the pit. Guess what? They put him in Potiphar's palace. You know what he is in Potiphar's palace? He's a slave. There's no better term for it. He's a slave. Say he's a servant. He's The guy's a slave. He is a slave. He has no control over his future destiny. He's a slave. What does he do when he's in Potiphar's palace? He said, I'm going to do the best. I'm going to work for my, my slave master. I'm going to make it the best that I can. He he, he he grows his executive gifts. He grows his administrative gifts. He learns how to lead people. He learns how to follow through on tasks and make ta- tasks happen. And all of a sudden, he's not the lowly slave. All of a sudden, he rises up in Potiphar's Palace to being the number two only to Potiphar himself. He learned. He said, I, okay, this is what God gave me for now. I'm going to do the best I can with it. I'm going to improve it. I'm going to make it every... And all of a sudden, what happens? He gets lied about. He gets he gets cheated on. They steal from him. Falsely accused. He ends up in prison. He could have gave up. He said, I'm, they lied about me. I'm in prison. I'm going to give up. I'm going to become bitter in life. I'm going to check out. That's not what he does. What does he do? He said, I'm going to... I'm going to Put myself to work. Okay, I'm gonna do my and again, executive gifts, leadership skills. He's building these things. He's building all these things while he's in the trial of his life. But he knows if I keep applying myself, somehow or another, God allowed me to this is this is my spot in life. I'm gonna do my best with it. I'm gonna improve it. I'm gonna serve joyfully. I'm gonna have the right spirit. I'm gonna have the right attitude. I'm gonna do my job with excellence. I'll be administrative. I'll do and all that what happens, he works his way up. He becomes second in charge in the prison. And what happens? In the prison, dreams are taking place. And and the most powerful man in the world has a dream. And none other than the guy that was in the pit in Potiphar's palace in prison. They call on Joseph. And Joseph stands before the most powerful man in the world. And he interprets his dream. The gift that God gave him. The ability to interpret dreams. He interprets that dream. And the most powerful man in the world says, hey, no more are you going to be a slave. You're going to be second in command of the entire nation. What are you saying? I'm just can, can, can. He starts out as a 17-year-old kid. He's thrown in a pit. I mean, how many, how many people do you know that have that? What, but what did he do? Everywhere he went, he made things better. He made things better. He, made, he improved things, and God had tremendous confidence in him. Joseph, Joseph made everything better. I'm closing with this. What are you saying? I'm saying make your field better. Make your field better. Whatever God's blessed you with, cultivate it. Put in the time. Stay with it. Stay focused. Don't be discouraged. Lift up your head. It's worth it. Come on. Make your, make your family better. Say, I will love my life. Come on, I will love my life. Come on, I'll love my life. I'll love my family. Come on, I'll love my spouse. Come on, I'll love my God. I'll love my church. I'll love my calling. I'll love my ministry. Come on, I'll love my city. I'll love my state. I'll be grateful for what God has given me. I'll embrace all of the present right now and embrace the here and now. Then I can improve what God has given me. Oh, hallelujah. The grass is greener because I'm making it that way. The grass is greener because I'm going to make it that way. I'm not going to look over the fence and lose my todays and lusting after what someone else has. When God has given me the amazing potential to build what he has put in front of me. And what happens to a child of God that locks themselves in, that focuses their life, builds their life on God and the things of God, that says, I'm not wasting my time looking over the fence at someone else's field because that's not my field. This is my field. And I'm going to make it the best that I can. Amen. Young people, some of us, you know what we need to do? We need to get off of YouTube. <laughs> need to get off of Instagram. You know why? Because I can't live my whole life vicariously through somebody else's adventure. Oh, look at them. They're a videographer. Look at all their views. Look at all. Wow. Ooh. Ah. Amazing. Wow. Cool. If I was just like them. No. Why don't you get your own channel? Say, I'm going a, to a build I'm a build. My life, because this is what God gave me. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I am saying it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. I think somebody this morning needs to wake up and realize that the world you've always wanted is the world that you're in. And to make a choice I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. I choose to make the best where I am. In the name of Jesus.